Welcome back to the Track Quest Podcast. What's going on, Bob? Oh, just uh, did another awesome podcast with uh, somebody we've been playing phone tag with and t- trying to get on here for a long time, so it was good. Like like a year we've been trying to get him on, Yep. and he's someone that uh, is instrumental in our community, and it was a pleasure an honor to uh, to have the one and only G. Fred Asbell on. Yes, the uh, instinctive shooting master, that's for sure. So he, what a great guy he was. I mean, just awesome. Yeah, a real, a real gentleman. Um, we definitely, uh, you know, like all podcasts, there were some rabbit holes, and we got into hunting, and we touched on politics. But at the end of the day, we really wanted to dive into instinctive shooting, um, and we did that and it was awesome. I really enjoyed it. Uh, if you guys, you know, have any uh, questions or feel we missed something, reach out to us, tragquestpodcast at gmail.com. Cause we definitely plan to talk to him again. And so, yeah, if you guys got anything that you feel we missed, definitely send us an email. All his books are available asbellwool.com. So his books and all the wool that we talk about on the podcast. So. Make sure to uh, get on there and order those books. They've been around a long time, but it's a lot of good info for sure. Definitely. Awesome. Definitely really awesome. Yeah, enjoy the instinctive shooting master himself, Mr. G. Fred Asbell. Hello. Hello, Fred. This is James, and we've got Bob here. Okay, James and Bob, huh? Yeah, okay. How you doing, Fred? Thanks How for coming on. We really appreciate it. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to it. This is good. Uh, I I heard you just got a new phone. You're you got an yeah, iPhone now? Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Is that what it's called? Let's see. Uh, what's my wife call it? I think I, that maybe. I guess that's what she calls it. <laughs> it does everything, but uh, it'll do everything but put money in the bank for you. Nice. <laughs> yeah, the the technology's got us all. It's even got. G. Fred himself, we're uh, we're doomed now. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I don't think that's the word she uses, but it's. Uh, but it's 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 one of those kinds that, uh, like you say, just does everything. So, anyway, I I barely figured out uh, 
I think I tried to call you the other day, James, and I after I called you, then I couldn't figure out how to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, I, yeah. I, uh, I got your message, uh, by, by coincidence. I happened to hit some cell service. I was out, uh, trying to find a bull elk yesterday in the rain with my bow and arrow. So I don't understand. Uh, you've got elk season on in January in, uh, in, uh, is it Washington? Oregon. Oregon. Yeah. So they got this draw tag that if you don't fill your, if you're a crappy hunter like me and you don't get your elk in September, you get a, a, a two week, uh, second go in January. And it's, uh, oh, okay. pretty hard to find those bulls. The cows are pretty prevalent, but the bulls are pretty tucked away. So have they dropped, uh, their antlers yet? I mean, is that, uh, usually end of February, beginning of March, end of March, somewhere in there, February, mm-hmm. March. Mm hmm. I've even seen them packing in April. Okay, okay. Yeah. I remember in Colorado at uh, at one time they had uh, they were having so much uh, uh, damage for the ranchers and stuff. The the elk coming in and tearing down their fences and all that, and they opened up a couple of uh, of uh, areas for bow hunting. But uh, trying to find them at that time of year was something else. And then, of course, when you found them, you'd find about forty of them, and that's doesn't work real good for bow hunting. Absolutely. That's been my thing. When I do find a bull, he's got 15 cows with him, and that uh, it's pretty hard to get that one because it's got to be a three-point or better bull, so you can't okay. shoot the spike bulls. And So, yeah, it's, it's a difficult hunt, but, hey, it's it's bow hunting. Are they, uh, are they American uh, elk? They're not Roosevelt's, are they? Roosevelt elk. Okay. Oh, they are rosies. Okay. Yeah, I live on the coast, oh, uh, so I, li- I live in the heart of uh, Roosevelt Country. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, I have okay. never, I have never hunted them. You uh, did a lot of elk hunting though, as a kid or as a young man. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've hunted elk uh, quite a bit. It's one of those uh, things. I have this this theory that uh, guys, people, their technique. Uh, allows them to be more successful on one animal than another. And uh, I used to hunt with a guy that was uh, as as good a bow hunter as I as I ever knew, Bob Pitt. And he, gosh, every time he went out, he'd kill a big deer. And uh, I always struggled with it, but it was just the opposite for me with elk. It seemed like, gosh, I could just walk in the woods and and there was one standing in front of me. I'm oversimplifying, of course, but but. Uh, so I haven't really put in all that much time uh, elk hunting, but I have been I have been pretty successful for some darn reason. I don't know why, mm, but uh, I guess just had a good place. Uh, yeah, Bob Bob is like that. Seems with elk and whatever he goes after, but uh, I I, I, I haven't found. It. I guess if I had to choose, uh, uh, I don't know. Squirrels squirrels seem to be in trouble around me, but I I, I don't I don't got anything <laughs> mastered yet. <laughs> yeah it's uh gosh i remember the first uh probably the first time i went elk hunting in uh in colorado you know i had done it was, it was would have been some years ago about 1970 i uh i had read all the all the things about bugling and all that and i had the little bugle that was like a gas piece of gas pipe and 
I tooted it the first time, and just like they said in the in the articles, here comes a bull down off of the hill right at me, and I'm you know I'm kind of standing behind a little little uh, tree, and here he comes in, and it's a I think it was a pretty big bull, but he's all red eyed and he's blowing snot every place, and he's tearing trees up and and bugling like crazy, and I'm thinking. My God, why do I want this animal to come closer to me? And then, the, <laughs> and then the and then the wind changed and uh, and I and and he smelled me and ran off and I <laughs> I felt relief. Uh, when when did you put your uh, first arrow through an elk, Fred? I suppose in '71, something like that. Uh, like I said I uh, I moved from Colorado in '97, so. Uh, yeah, I hunted them every year, but I, I don't know. Like I said, elk just seem like uh, like uh, we were always in the in the right places together. I don't know, so it's just Are one you? of those things. But boy, I sure made up with it. And in uh, mule deer, seemed like uh, I could hunt the best places for mule deer, and it was just it was just awfully hard. The number of uh, hours I've put in hunting mule deer are probably. 10 or 20 times how much time I put in for elk. And I have to say that I've probably been more successful with elk. So what, what techniques, I mean, you said your buddy, Bob, uh, he was the deer, just got lucky on the deer. I mean, it has to be more than luck. I mean, is it a patience thing? Do you think, you know, elk hunting, I, I feel like some of the guys that are real successful on mule deer, they, they're kind of more almost OCD, you know, they're doing a lot more spot and stalking and they have, you know, it's a little more of a patience game, whereas elk, you kind of got to use, you know, move around a little bit more, use kind of all the tricks. Sometimes you got to call them, sometimes you stalk them, sometimes you got to be patient, sometimes you don't. I mean, how do you think your techniques are different than Bob's? Oh, well, of course, Bob lived in Indiana, and I did too, and then moved to Colorado. But I was also about, uh, I think, eight years younger than Bob. And uh, he would come out and elk hunt with me, and I was in really good shape at that time. I was running three to five miles every day, and da da da, all that kind of stuff, and and uh, which I think is really important. And uh, I could just get after them, and we'd get up around uh, eight or ten thousand feet in uh, in Colorado, uh, where most of the elk were, and uh, he could move about a hundred yards, and he had to lay down. And, you know, so I think that was a factor in it. And uh, Whitetails, uh, he just seemed to, he was one of those guys, he could just walk in the woods and say, look around and say, right here, this is the place. And I'd say, why? What, what, I mean, what, what are you seeing? Uh, this, is, this, is, this is the right place. This is a good place. And it always worked for him. He'd come out and uh, mule deer hunt with me in uh, Colorado, and he'd get there gosh, four or five days early to acclimate a little bit. And then we'd, we'd go hunting and, and, uh, mule deer, we were hunting about 7,000 feet, something like that. And he'd just lay around for three or four days and I'd be out there just hunting really hard. And it was sort of like, he'd wake up and say, okay, gosh, I think I'm going to go out this afternoon. And he'd come back with a, with a, with a big deer, no matter what. It just, it was just amazing to me. He just, uh, he, he's deer hunter. That's all he said. He said he was a deer hunter. <laughs> and, uh, I, I've always had a preference for hunting, uh, 
uh, Mueller in particular, just simply because you you really end up doing most of it on your on your feet. I don't know that I've ever stood in a tree for for a mule deer, but uh, but anyway, it's just a, like I said, I, I've had this theory that it's just kind of the way guys hunt or the the way you go about it. I don't know. Gotcha. So I got to ask you. You mentioned whitetail and mule deer, and you'd already said you've never hunted Roosevelts. Um, have you ever hunted blacktail deer? Yeah, I've got. Uh, I hunted in uh, California. I've got a, a couple of pretty good blacktails. Really, I hunted there in, in uh, Northern California, and uh, I shot a couple of, uh, of pretty decent uh, bucks there. But uh, I haven't been out in that country very much. But uh, uh, in both of those instances, I I hunted with a with a guy that that had a good place. That's what it really amounted to. And uh, they were much like mule deer. I didn't I didn't think they were quite as as sharp as mule deer. But I think it just had to do with with maybe uh, maybe those guys weren't hunted as quite as much as some of the the mule deer were in Colorado. Were you hunting trees? No, nah, I I don't know that I've ever been in a tree stand for mule deer. And uh, you know, I did a book uh some time ago about stalking and still hunting. And uh, even though I guess I uh I'm kinda known for you know, instinctive shooting and, and I've done three books on uh, instinctive shooting but I did one on stalking and still hunting, and I have to say that's still my favorite book uh, because even, gosh, even as a kid playing cowboys and Indians, the stalking and slipping up on someone was was always key to me. And it just that was may even have been uh, one of the major attractions for me with the with shooting a bow and arrow was being on your feet and and uh, slipping around and playing like you're an Indian and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, no, I've, and I think again, that's probably what I like most about, about mule deer and, and even caribou and some of those things is you, you got to get on your feet and get after them. And, and, uh, I really enjoy that aspect of it. Uh, we noticed in the Compton, uh, traditional archives that you've got a rather large bull elk in there. Um, could you maybe tell us a little bit about that? Was that a spot in stock or a call in or, or uh, how did you come upon that big critter? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. I was just uh, just hunting right at Timberline, and uh, and I think I probably wrote about it at some point. But uh, uh, I was above Timberline and and uh, spotted this bull chasing cows, and and uh, I think I bugled at him once with my mouth, and and uh, he came up looking for a for a cow, and he just got a little too close. And uh, so I shot him uh, above Timberline, and uh, you know there wasn't a there wasn't a tree within quite a distance there. But uh, at one time, he's an eight by eight, and the scoring systems don't uh, do justice to that. That I forget now what the score is on it, but it's about fifteen inches bigger if you don't do those deductions. I say it's an eight by eight and it had 15 inch base on both of them. So it's just, it's, it's really a, it's really a big bull. I always said I had seen 400 inch bulls, but after I shot him uh, and I think he was like 
at that time he was 370 or something like that. And, uh, I realized I'd never seen a 400 inch bull, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, it's just, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's that old line in the water trick. You just, uh, you keep your line in the water and you get out there a lot and, and, uh, you know, surely something will come by you sooner or later. <laughs> and, uh, and that's, and that's, then that's kind of, uh, uh, the people who are successful, I think, and I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about lots of people, they, pin, they spend lots of time at it. You know, the guys like Roger Rothar and, and Gene and Barry Wenzel and those guys, uh, gosh, when the, when the season's open, I mean, those guys are out there from daylight to dark and uh, every day. And when they're not hunting, they're thinking about it, they're planning it, they're, you know, and... Everybody isn't going to be like that for sure, but, uh, but some are. And, uh, and I think in, in the end, if a guy just puts enough or gal, uh, see how politically correct I am. Uh, <laughs> Good job. if, if the more, if, if you put a lot of time in it, sooner or later, you're going to get it figured out. If you pay attention to what's going on, if you don't try to make them come into your world, if you go into their world, and, 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 you know, and learn and, and, and see what's there. Uh, eventually things are going to get easier for you. Well, no, this guy, Bob Pitt was probably, and I wrote about him, I think in, in, uh, the first two, uh, shooting books I did, he was as good a bow shooter as anybody I ever saw when, so he was like an assassin when, uh, when an animal got close to him, he killed it. And, uh, I mean, he, you know, he didn't, didn't mess them up. I mean, you know, uh, everybody's got a story about the one that got away. And of course, I'm sure he did too, but he knew how to do it. And, uh, he was a pretty cool cucumber. He had been a, a, uh, sniper in, uh, in Korea. And so he had learned how to, you know, how to get out there and live and, 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 and be with them. And, and he didn't get that nervous on a big animal and, and, uh, if you're like me, I mean, you know, there's sometimes when, uh, when your heart's only beating every other time, when you get close to an animal, and I think we all, we all go through that, but, uh, I suspect that the Roger Rothars and the, and the Winslow brothers and some of those guys that are particularly successful, uh, have got ice water in their veins when, when big animals come along, come along. And there are some of us who you know, couldn't shoot their foot when a big animal comes along. And it's just, you know, one of the things that happens. And I guess one of the things that a guy has to work at, but there's no question that the more time you spend out there, uh, shooting and, and, and being around the animals and being in the country, the, the more successful you're probably going to be assuming you're in a, in a decent place. Right. So I think I know what you mean by this, but you'd alluded to, uh, learning to, uh, live in their world and not, uh, bring them into yours. Um, could you explain right. that a little bit? Well, I think that you've got to, you've got to learn about an animal, a, a, a white-tailed deer. He isn't just an animal that walks up under your tree stand, just, you know, just gets out of a car and comes walking by you. You, you need to understand everything about him and what attracts him and what pushes him away. And, and, and what motivates him and, and, and why would he be there? And, uh, gosh, we, I think we all 
have read enough and understand enough that uh, that uh, most of these animals live by their nose first and foremost. And if you forget that every time, you're not ever going to be successful. So you got you like I said, you sit down and 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 look at how some of these guys are are really successful, and they really learn the animal. They really learn, you know, when they move and when they don't, and and uh, you know, it's it's. And I've written about this about this before. I think that uh, that getting out getting out there and and uh, and becoming an outdoorsman. I mean. Learning what the trees are, what the bushes are, uh, what they feed on, what's the difference between a white oak and a red oak, and and uh, when they are both there, and uh, you know all those kinds of things. And you just, like I say, if if you really think about it, the guys that uh, that we all know that have been successful are also pretty good woodsmen. They kind of know what's going on and. And they're not, they're not just, like I say, getting out of a car in the parking lot and, and walking into the grocery store. It's, it's, uh, and, and, and that absolutely happens. There's no question. But, uh, but the more you know about where the deer live and, and, you know, elk too, of course, and, and, and what moves them and why they're here, uh, the better off you're going to be. Uh, you can spend an awful lot of time chasing elk in what looks like good country, but if you're, Every place I've hunted, if you do it where there isn't moisture, where there isn't water, you're wasting your time. One year, this this drain will be full of elk uh, because there's water there. And uh, the next year, it's just not quite as wet out, and, and they're three ridges away. And that's just, you, you you know, those are just things that you learn by exposure. So so I think the, the more time uh, you put in hunting those animals and the more on-the-ground time that you put in the better off you're going to be yeah that's uh, that makes a ton of sense i think you're right woodsmanship seems to be a lost art amongst some of the younger generation it's something we try to talk about a lot um because it mm-hmm. is definitely uh the pieces of the puzzle that bring success uh, oh yeah and there's and and there's a great and there's a great pleasure in learning all that stuff too i mean there's there's really i mean Gosh, you should recognize every bird that's out there, every animal, what they live, where they eat, what they, you know. Uh, those animals live by their nose and by their belly and, of course, from time to time, uh, the the uh, sexual urge. But, you know, there's things that you can learn that motivate them. They're going to be where there's food. They're not. You're not going to kill them where the wind's wrong. And uh, you can... You can find the best place in the world that animals are in, the animals that you want, but if the wind is always wrong for you, you might as well just go someplace else because no matter how many animals are there, you ain't going to be successful. Absolutely. And and uh, like I said, you, you read things like, you know, like the Winsels write, and they're talking about they consider one of the most important things next to having located these animals is how you get into a stand and you cannot just walk in uh the same place the animals are going to walk in and i think the same same is 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 true with elk uh the first day the first 15 minutes you're hunting an animal is your best opportunity to kill them 
And the longer you stay there, uh, the, the more your chances are reduced. And I'm very guilty of that. I find a place that I think's good, and and uh, I look around. The next thing I know, I've been going in there four and five times a week or something like that. And that that's not going to work. That's not going to work. I can say these guys that are that are really successful put all their eggs in 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 one basket. They they may sit there in glass and and look at these elk uh, at a place. But the first thing they have to say to themselves is, you know, what's the wind doing? What's the wind going to be doing when I get down there? And, you know, those kinds of things. So, like I said, it's, it's, it's an all-encompassing thing. I mean, I think you, you, if you pay attention to what's going on, uh, you learn every time you go in the woods. So let's back up and maybe tell us how you, you came, you know, where you came from and how – you got into bow hunting and your, uh, you know, I know you came from a time where all these books and the internet and all these things weren't available. How did you pick up woodsmanship and how did you find the bow and arrow? And, uh, give us a little, uh, intro to, uh, G Fred. Okay. I was, uh, I was out of the military service and, and, uh, and was a bachelor and, uh, was, uh, Worked for a company and they had a recreation area and I was out there with some, some guys and, and, uh, saw one of these big red, white and blue archery targets sitting out there. And lo and behold, it turned out that they had, uh, a bow there that you could check out and shoot arrows. And, and the guy I was with said, Oh yeah, he, he, he had taken an archery class in, in college. And, uh, and so he could show me how to do it. Well, and he tried and he didn't know any more than I did, but, but, that's kind of where where I started. Uh, I just really liked the bow. I was a bachelor and lived by myself out in the country, and I would just uh, uh, I had a about a forty pound bow and a, and a couple of seventy five cent arrows, and I'd just walk around and shoot it at uh, dirt clods and one thing and another. And my brother was a barber, and uh, one day he said to me, "Well, are you going to go hunting with? You going to go bow hunting?" And I I had no idea that anybody bow hunted. And this was about probably 62 or something like that. I had no idea that you could hunt with a bow. And so that, I mean, that tells you just about how far back uh, we go. And I used to go, he lived in the country and I would go there and, uh, and, and just shoot. And uh, I knew I had heard about all this deer hunting, but I'd never seen a deer. In fact, the truth is the first, year that I hunted, I, when I went hunting, I'd never seen a deer in my life, except, you know, in a zoo, but I'd never seen a wild deer. And, uh, I've told this story before. He called me one night and said that, uh, he had met a guy who was a fox hunter who'd been back behind his house and had seen a deer track along the Creek. <laughs> and I took the next day off work and went out there to try to find that track. And, uh, I mean, that's, that sounds silly, but that's how that's, you know, and, uh, I didn't find it. And, uh, but, uh, so it was a couple of years. In fact, uh, I did see a deer the first year I hunted and, uh, it was, it was pretty, pretty long stretch, but I was really crazy about it just right from the beginning. And I really started, uh, small game hunting, you know, I hunted groundhogs and, you know, what you call marmots out there. And I, and I got in an archery 
club, and I was really just smitten by it. And I, like I said, I, I it just happened that uh, that one particular day that the deer were dumber than me that day, <laughs> and so at some point you're successful, and and uh, but I worked in a big company, and there was a a guy there who worked there and ran uh, some equipment and he claimed that he was the first guy in the state to shoot a deer. And uh, I would slip away from my job and go back and just bug the heck out of him trying to get information from him about how to do this thing. And uh, I think he was, as a, he was pretty amused by it. I think because I think uh, he had just been lucky too, but uh Gus just hung on every word. I could, there was a, there was a time when uh, there were only a couple of archery magazines around. Uh, but even to this day, I can tell you what pictures are on what page and, 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 and who wrote the article and da, da, da. So my point is, is that from the beginning, I just really fell in love with this and just immersed myself in it. And, uh, and that's kind of, of, uh, of, of, of what I've done. I, uh, became the president of an archery club and then the then the 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 state archery thing and that was kind of competition and uh and just i immediately the the second year i shot a bow i i drove to uh to uh colorado i lived in indiana drove to colorado and because uh, a guy had told me that he'd shot a deer out there with a gun and i went out there and and uh and did manage to 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 shoot a mule deer and then uh, the next year, uh, I bought a bear license in Wisconsin. And again, I lived in Indiana. And I went up there and deer hunted and bear hunted. And, and uh, gosh, from day one, I've just, uh, I've just pursued it, I guess. And uh, I don't know, probably when I was 25 years old, I went to Alaska for three months with this friend of mine, Bob Pitt. And uh, I took a leave of absence from work. And uh, and we went up there in August and, and came back in October. And uh, I need not tell you what greenhorns I was. Like I said, he had, he had been in the, in the Marine Corps and had been in, in Korea. And uh, so he was, he was a lot more of an outdoorsman than I was, but, uh, it was a long, long, long learning process, but I got in it up to my ears almost from the very beginning, and I guess that's kind of uh, where I've always been. I just, uh, it is what I do. I have worked for other people. I've had jobs and had opportunities to work in the uh, archery business, but it is what I do for enjoyment, and it never really seem like something I wanted to make money from. And that may sound uh, that I'm not trying to sound holy, but it's just that shooting a bow and arrow is what I've always done. And making money at it just just never quite came into the to the picture. And, and uh, you know, I started building bows at one time. Uh, Denny Bain and I went uh, to Alaska hunting doll sheep. And when we were up there, uh, he had a bear takedown and I had a wing takedown and I had two sets of limbs. He only had one. 
and we didn't know anybody who built bows. And at that time, and I'm, gosh, when would that have been? Maybe, maybe 72 or three, uh, we decided we were going to build bows, uh, build, build recurve bows. And, and so we tried to do that and I lost my tail doing that, but, uh, <laughs> that was the but, big but it, it's, bow company. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the, the bows, they were great bows, but, uh, and, uh, I just never could figure out how to make money at it. And, uh, eventually got out of it, which was probably the best thing I did, but I really loved shooting the bows and I loved designing them and all that, but I was never a businessman. And, uh, you know, so anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's sort of a jumbled up, uh, story, but I've just always been so in love with the bow and arrow that, uh, that I just, you know, nothing else has mattered very much except, you know, family and that sort of thing. But that's, that's what I've done. Yeah. We can definitely relate to, to all that. It seems like you said, even <laughs> if you're not hunting, always on the brain and it's, oh, it yeah. just doesn't, it yeah, just doesn't go away. Yeah. My wife always gives me a hard time. She'll tell me I'm, I'm here, but I'm not here. <laughs> she gives me a hard time because I'm always planning hunts. She's like, you can plan hunts and all that stuff all the time, but you never plan our stuff. I'm like, well, that's for you to plan. <laughs> yeah, I remember a wife saying to me, can we just go to the woods and make noise? I always <laughs> wanted to slip around, <laughs> all that kind of stuff, see? And she said, and, and you know, she, she, and she just wanted to shout and make noise in the woods. And I just, that just, I couldn't stand that. <laughs> and, uh, oh, well. But uh, no, it's this, this, this bow hunting thing is, is, uh, certainly, I guess, I'm not sure the contagious is the, is the right word because, uh, went through a long process in there when the compound came along and, and I wasn't sure, uh, there was anybody out there still shooting a recurve, but you know what guys, I think, uh, I think the, we've, we've come around the racetrack and I think this, uh, darn crossbow that we've all learned to hate, uh, is going to make the compound non-existent, just like the compound did the recurve. I don't know what you hear, but around here in Michigan, uh, these archery shops are closing up unless they're in the uh, crossbow business. And I think that an awful lot of those people that were shooting compounds are available to us, us being traditionalists. And I, I, I think there's, a, there's an opportunity for us here uh, to get back to shooting a bow and arrow instead of just, you know... Uh, uh, here in this state, uh, we have a, I think it's called Woods and Water, which is a really a great uh, newspaper that covers, you know, all of the, the hunting, trapping, fishing, and all that kind of stuff. But you look at the uh, success pictures in there, and I would say better than 50% of them are with a crossbow. Yeah, I, and, uh, I think, Fred, you know, um, I think that, Talking to like my friend Jason Sankoviak from Michigan, he's telling me the same thing. And I, I yeah. think that there's a lot of truth to that in the Whitetail Woods. But when you come out uh -huh. west, even where they are legal, I think that they're so big and cumbersome 
that the compound has a huge advantage that they can drop back and hold it and they don't have to get a rest for it and they can move it through the brush. And, and so I don't know that I know it's one step easier, but I think that the compound just keeps evolving to becoming uh, more efficient, more efficient. And so I don't think that it's going anywhere out here. Um, I think that it uh, has a lot of advantages over uh, the crossbow. What is your thought, Bob? It will if they allow it more seasons. The reason we're safe is because they haven't. True. They're still fighting it off. And the only season out here that allows it is Wyoming, basically, in the West. And they, they, you know, are not a big population in that state, you know, so, and they're working on getting But they were the so first, they were the first state, they were the first state to uh, legalize uh, crossbow. Yeah. And they just sort of, put it in because it, they didn't know anything and they just thought, well, that's a bow and arrow. But you got to remember that 90% or some number like that of the bow hunters are east of the Mississippi. I mean, do you realize that? I mean, you know, so, so, and I don't know what percentage of the guys are whitetail hunters, but I'm going to say a majority of them. Now, I'm not saying that we're suddenly going to be inundated with, happened with the compound, but... I'm seeing an awful lot of of movement toward traditional being recurves, longbows, whatever whatever it is, uh, by guys who were shooting a, a compound yesterday and are saying, ah, you know, I don't like where this is going. Yeah. See, in this state, a 12 year old kid can be in a tree with a crossbow and he thinks he can kill something at 150 yards with it, and you're out there slipping around in camouflage. And, uh, it's, it's a pretty scary proposition. Definitely. But, you know, but we don't, we're not here, so, I don't guess, to talk about crossbows. Well, we'll, we'll see where it goes. I mean, hopefully in 20 years, everybody will be back to shooting a trad bow and we'll have a bunch of these traditional seasons. Me and James are big on pushing those here out west and even back east. We're trying to, we have a few traditional only hunts here in Oregon and we're working on getting more and, we got some stuff yeah, you kicking have, in haven't you? You guys have... Yeah, we got some stuff kicking in Idaho and we got some stuff going on with Compton. So we got a lot of good things in the works and uh hopefully, yeah, hopefully that'll yeah. be the way it goes. We feel creating opportunity for traditional uh archery tackle, you know, giving a guy a unit, a zone, an area to hunt where he doesn't have to deal with the the modern equipment is gonna be the best way to grow our numbers. Um, you know, it just, it just makes sense that the bows have, have changed so much that they don't even reflect as the same type of equipment or the same type of, uh, ability. And I think that the biologists are really seeing that. And I, I hope, we hope that we, we know that the crossbow and the compound are never going to go away. We, we, we accept that that's totally fine. We just want to really see, uh, you know, make our own ground, uh, have our, our own seasons and our own area to hunt where, you know, level the playing field per se. So that's something we're working mm-hmm. on out West. You've got your, uh, you've got the attention of the fishing game out there and see back here, uh, everybody hunts whitetails and, uh, it's, you know, they're just, they're just, they're just so much season here. And, what I'm being told is all of these companies that were yesterday's compound company, if, if they're not making a crossbow, they're going out of business. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I, I've read just from the, you know, a lot of those states are over 50, 60, 70% of people hunting during archery seasons where they've legalized it are all crossbow now. Yeah, that's what yeah. I, that's what I hear. And, uh, there was a time, there was a time when, uh, when people embarrassingly said that they were hunting with a uh, crossbow and today it's just, uh, that's, they, they're calling it a bow and arrow here. Yeah, I think I, I, I could be wrong, but I think it was Ohio. Uh, I was talking to uh, my friend from Michigan the other day, and I, he hunts a lot of states. And I think it was Ohio mm-hmm. or Missouri. One of those states just put up that they had a 39% success rate in archery season with a crossbow, which is not good. And he had also shared wow. with me that I think it's uh, Kansas. They have had a shift from rifle hunting to everybody jumping into the bow season because of the Mm -hmm. ease of using a crossbow. And now they've got controlled hunts and it's harder to get a tag and it's harder to find a place to hunt. And so even though the Midwest, uh, you know, the Eastern part of the U S has a lot of deer and a lot of season, uh, we would really like to see, even if it's not the most ideal spots to just, Set aside some areas where a guy with a simple stick and string can go out and have a nice hunt and not have to worry about that guy in the tree shooting a hundred yards where he can slip yeah, in the woods yeah. and, and enjoy himself. And I think that that has value, hopefully in all states, even if they have a huge population and a lot of opportunity, give us an area where we can go back and, and do it uh, like the more simpler time. Well, the, uh, I used to hunt some in, in Minnesota, and uh, I think the uh, bow season there was, it was either 30 or 60 days. I don't remember which it was. But the gun season was three days. Right. And so you've, you've got to expect that as soon as some simple device like a crossbow came along, that a lot of those halfway gun hunters, are going to jump in and buy a crossbow when they can hunt for when they can hunt for thirty days instead of three. Of course. Yeah. Sure. So anyway, it's uh, tell us about those dark ages when the compound came on and you felt like the stick bow had just about shriveled up and gone away. Uh, when that compound came along, gosh dang, everybody in the world jumped on it, and uh, like I said, when we started building. Uh, bows, there wasn't really anyone still building, uh, uh, recurve bows. Uh, geez. Uh, in fact, when we started at, at a point, and I, I, I knew Fred Bear to have conversation with him and, and through Pope and Young Club and all that kind of stuff. And he basically gave me permission, me being the Bighorn Bow Company, to, uh, use their latching system to make a takedown and uh we were not capable of doing it we didn't have the money and all that kind of stuff but my point is is that everybody even including bear had said okay the recurve's done there's no sense in us they didn't they didn't even make it for a while and people don't uh, people have forgotten that and everybody made nothing but uh but uh compounds i didn't know that a couple of yeah, a couple of the compound or a couple of the recurve companies tried to stay in business by 
offering to convert recurves into compounds, however they would do that. And uh, some of those old companies were like that. But but uh, uh, wing archery, for example, uh, Bob Lee said uh, he would go out of business before he'd build a compound bow. Well, he did sell the company eventually. And they started using all the uh, archery making equipment to make, you know, sailboats and bowling balls and all that kind of stuff. But there was quite a long time in the 70s where, where, you know, there just there just were not any recurves around. I didn't get in the recurve business uh, because I thought it was a big opportunity. I got into it. Well, I shouldn't say that. I got into it because nobody was building one. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and I remember I remember going to a uh, the Colorado Bowhunters uh, Jamboree, and uh, we set up and, and, and had our bows there, and, and guys came in there with their wives and said, Hey, honey, now look look at this. This is this is the kind of bows we used to shoot, and this was this was still in the in the pretty early seventies. And I mean, when the when the uh, compound came along, it's just like they flushed all the recurves down the drain. And uh, for quite a while, uh, let's just say, I'll just say for several issues in Bowhunter Magazine, uh, Bighorn was the only company making traditional equipment advertising. All the other companies were doing nothing but compounds, and uh, and then it just slowly started. And that's that's when the kind of the uh, longbow came along. Uh, nobody shot a longbow in the old days. I mean, you know, I'm talking. If we go way back, they did, of course. But in the heyday of the uh, recurve, which was really from through the 50s and 60s and into the early 70s, it was all recurve bows. And when the compound came along, uh, then longbows kind of started to show up, and then they got very popular. And uh, so, anyway, I'm just I'm just hoping that uh, this whole thing is going to make a swing. Uh, Michigan and Wisconsin uh, have a ton of traditional uh, bow hunters, and and. Uh, Colorado did. I don't know. You know, I've been away from there for a while, so I don't know. I don't know what's going on there now. But uh, you know, I don't know. Um, my one of my mentors, Gary Wallace, to add to uh, kind of what you were saying, he ran an archery shop here uh, in Coos Bay, Oregon, on the coast through the seventies and into the eighties. And he said there was a time mm-hmm. when bear archery was pushing compounds that they would give uh you would order so many and they would give you stacks of recurves uh, like a promotion mm-hmm. and if you bought a compound you'd get a free bear recurve like you were just giving them away mm-hmm. isn't that trying, something yeah just trying well, to get rid of them the there was a big uh archery shop in Denver that uh at one time had I'm going to say hundreds of Damon Howitt recurve bows that they got from them for like $5 a piece. Wow. And, you know, they, they had, in those days, they had some gorgeous uh, rosewood bows. And that company had just had stacks of them. And it's just exactly what you're saying. You know, they just, you know, get rid of them all. Now, see, now, it's nice to see that Bear seems to 
have gotten very interested in the traditional market and uh, they've got a couple of guys there that are really going after it and uh, I'm not going to say they're going to go away from the compound and all that kind of stuff but uh, they're working pretty hard to uh, to uh, build a business uh, with with tradition and uh, I'm sure you're seeing it up there but yeah. you guys have up, up there have always been more traditional I think than than uh, than a lot of parts of the country and it just really does depend on on where you go I think that guys that are going to be a weekend warrior uh, or, you know, anyone obviously coming into this fresh and new is are going to go to the pro shop and get a compound. But I think they evolve. Sure. The guy that wants to spend more time in the woods, the guy that enjoys learning about the flora and fauna and animal behavior, it's a natural progression to go this way. I think it's just a, an evolution now instead of starting this way. And guys, you know, mm-hmm. like myself that want to uh, immerse themselves into this uh, and they find quick and easy success with technology, it's easy. It's you want to peel that back and, and really uh, uh, get back into the roots of uh, bow hunting. And, and I think that the guys that are hardcore, um, you know, are finding their way. Some of them, it takes a, a lot of killing before they get bored. But eventually I'm seeing mm-hmm. more and more guys uh, you know, wanting to come or come this way and, you know, going back to those traditional seasons, we hope that that could help speed that up and, and, and give guys, uh, that opportunity. Well, I think that, uh, I think that, uh, while I've been involved with, uh, in my way, uh, uh, trophy bow hunting, I think that, uh, that people are looking to have a, 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 a good time. And I think one of the things we tried to do with Compton was to to kind of de-emphasize that and just uh, really talk about having a great time and getting out there with family and 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 all that kind of stuff. And uh, there needs to be pleasure to it. That was one of the good things about the old uh, field archery stuff. That was great fun, but uh, it started getting extremely competitive and. And as you know, it's just like the compound, the, the competition, the guys that are doing it just keep pushing it. And, and, uh, and pretty soon you couldn't really have fun. You couldn't even talk out there because, uh, because guys wanted to, to shoot higher scores. Yeah. And, I, uh, I think that's a great segue. I think that the F word, as I call it, uh, you know, fun because that, uh, uh-huh. when I, when I picked up a stick bow, you know, I came from the compound. And that was the first thing that came to mind is like, how much fun is this? Like I, mm-hmm. I, you get to the point with the compound where it's like a rifle, it's sighted in and you just blow the dust off it before season. But I cannot go a day without shooting my bow. It, it is just there you it go. Is so much fun. Well, I tell a story about, I, I don't really reveal really who it was, but, uh, but he was a, uh, and is, I guess, a, a major magazine owner. And uh, we were on a hunt in the same place, and, and myself and another couple of guys are are out in the sagebrush shooting judos and, you know, blah, 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 shooting, and he's sitting up there watching us. Come on, come on, come on, bring your bow and come on. Nah, nah, nah. And we went through that back and forth for a while, and at some point I said, why don't you want to, you know, why don't you want to come out and shoot with us? And, of course, he was shooting a compound. And he said, there's no point to it. So what do you mean? He said, 
if I put this sight on it, and I know the distance, and I use a rangefinder, I hit it. He said, that's no challenge. So to him, he had gone from being a, a, a bow hunter, an archer, to being a guy who was doing nothing but interested in, in killing stuff. He said, there's, there's, there's no fun in practicing. And so they don't do that. Right. And that, you think, you know, that, that's kind of sad. Yeah, I met a guy in Arizona this year at an elk tag down there, and and he had uh, taken his buddy out and called a bull in for him opening morning, and he shot this bull. And that was the, I think he said it was the fifth or sixth shot total that, that his buddy had shot out of that compound when he killed that elk. Wow. So, he bought it, got it all set up at the shop. Literally, you know, he said he had somebody that was, you know, a ma- magician at the setting those up, whatever that means, and got it all dialed in, shot it, I guess, four times, and then went out opening morning and shot his bull. We can't get the master of instinctive shooting on. I know we went down a lot of rabbit trails on hunting, but uh I know I... When I started, I started with the compound, and when I started, I think my first recurve I got was in, like, 94, maybe? And I don't know when you wrote your first book, Instinctive Shooting, but it had to be around 96, I'm guessing, or somewhere in there. That was all... It was 88. 88, okay. 1988, yeah. So that was the only info there was out there, really. I mean, besides reading some articles here and there about shooting mm-hmm, a recurve mm-hmm. and i didn't you know nobody shot like you said nobody shot them back then so that was uh that was where i started with instinctive shooting and about your second book and how did you get into that and writing a book about it and all that stuff well i never did anything but shoot i guess what we're calling instinctive because i couldn't figure it out i couldn't figure out uh you know, I, I told you the story about going to this recreation area. Well, the guy said, well, I, he didn't know and, and uh, how to sh- how to aim it. And it seemed like, you know, you've been taught to shoot a gun by looking at the at the side on the front. And so he naturally tried to look at the end of the arrow and all that kind of stuff. Well, that didn't work at all. I've told this story many times. I saw uh, a sequence of, of photos of, of Howard Hill drawing and shooting the bow, and I tried to to uh, uh, replicate that. And uh, I had played a lot of sports, a lot of basketball, football, blah, blah, blah. And it just seemed natural uh, just to look at what you were wanting to hit, just like you would shooting a basketball or throwing a football. And uh, started doing that and, you know, mostly just shot at feet. And, I mean, I'm talking about mere feet, not even yardage. And... uh, and kind of got into it that way. But uh, I don't even know where I came up with the, uh, or I, I heard about hand and eye coordination someplace way down the line. I just knew that everything was called instinctive shooting and you just looked at something and, and, and shot. And initially when I started shooting field archery, I did the same thing in field archery. They shot clear out to 80 yards, but I would go almost daily and shoot, and and, uh, I would draw the bow, 
and look at the center of it, the the target, the the scoring ring, and I would just hold the bow at full draw until I made everything else disappear, and then I would accept that dot and I would shoot. And uh, eventually it began to work, but it, uh, gosh, I don't know. You just do it, and you, so you say to yourself, well, how do you learn how to throw a football? How do you learn how to throw a baseball, shoot a basketball? You just do it. Yeah. And uh, everybody in the world has hand and eye coordination. Every physical thing you do every day involves hand and eye coordination, no matter what you're doing. So it isn't something really special. But for some reason, I think because we're shooting a projectile, like maybe a bullet would be or something like that, you think you have to have some aiming technique when, in fact, uh, all it really amounts to is concentrating and allowing your hand to point where your eye is looking. And uh, that's really kind of how it came along. And then I, I distinctly remember this, and I, and I say this in, in classes, the first indication that a newborn baby is progressing, coming along as it should, is when he begins reaching for what he sees, which is hand and eye coordination. That's the first indication that this child is developing correctly. And so you, you, if you think about it going back that far, you realize, geez, this is so basic. I don't know. I just, uh, I wrote an article, and I think I said this in, in, in one of the books I I. I wrote a couple of, I wrote an article about shooting off the shelf for Bowhunter magazine and people really got into that and had a lot of people comment on it. And then at another point, I wrote something about instinctive shooting and uh, just had such a barrage of people coming, uh, wanting it. And uh, eventually uh, they talked me into doing that first book about it. But it's like a lot of things like that. Once you begin doing it, you begin looking at it deeper and deeper and deeper. And you realize that, uh, gosh, most of what we do physically involves hand and eye coordination. And, uh, like I said, I've, I, I've gone into probably more detail in these books than people, uh, really want to know. But the truth is, is that at, Bow hunting distances, uh, I think a guy's wasting his time if he tries to use any other technique for shooting because the animal is always moving. It's You're never at the same distance and, and uh, trying to use some sort of, you know, everybody's really into this three fingers under business. And uh, that came along uh, early in the uh, 60s when field archery was, was – uh, was really at its zenith, and everybody was shooting three figures under. Well, it really required looking at the end of the arrow and and you know pointing it at a different place. And there were there were guys, uh, and and where I lived in Indi- Indiana was was really into the field archery thing. There was guys who had basically had a Rolodex hanging on their belt that told them if you know what a Rolodex is, like a telephone thing. And uh, that had where you put the arrow and where you anchored and put put your fingers on it 
uh, on each distance. And so they'd walk up to the, to the target and they'd flip this little Rolodex and say, okay, well, this, this target is 23 yards. And so here's how I do it. And, uh, that's that, you know, and you think about it, gosh, we consider it really funny if our wife can't throw a ball. And yet, you know, it's, it, I mean, you know, everybody can do that. Well, because say people have moved away from that with shooting a bow and this, this whole three fingers under stuff. And I, I'm not opposed to that. Uh, there were a lot of guys out in Montana and in your area that were really, uh, into, to, uh, three fingers under. And that's just the way you put your, your hand on the, your, on, on the string. But the second half of it is that it's using the end of the arrow, which is, perfectly all right for competition but it just uh it really doesn't work very well for 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 bow hunting well, and I don't, uh, I don't know the more... what i don't know what idiot would shoot three under but uh <laughs> i'm just well, saying that good well, news does. <laughs> i i shoot three fred i shoot uh with three three under um but i definitely uh-huh. Consider myself an instinctive shooter. I have no idea what my point on is. I don't look at my point. Mm-hmm. None of that is uh, in play for me. Um, I I know yardages by repetition, by th- just like throwing a baseball or a football. I just shoot my bow. I just happen to uh, address the bow with three fingers under. Now mm-hmm. to that point. Well, and that's and that's and that's perfectly. Uh... I mean, you realize that one of our heroes, uh, Art Young, shot four fingers under. If you look at a picture of him, you'll see he had all four fingers under the arrow and the thumb on top of the knock. And that's the way he shot. And, of course, you know, all that was instinctive. So, so, but my, the, the point I was, uh, I guess, reaching for is that the original and, and, uh, technique of, of three fingers under, and the way so many people use it, the majority of people use it, is using the point of the arrow. And, uh, and gosh, and I don't know that there's anything that says you have to shoot like this, but it's just, it doesn't work as well. Let's put it that way. And there's now, um, I kind of want to get into this because as the popularity is growing in traditional archery, um, guys are, I, I really like the simplicity of, of just going out and shooting my bow. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm noticing that a lot of guys are making it more complicated by, like you said, string walking and oh, uh, yeah. face crawling and gap shooting, which is all great, whatever it gets you into the sport. Um, but it usually seems to require a range finder. I've also noticed guys that will shoot three under – to certain yardages and then they go split finger, but they're still mm-hmm. doing their gapping and all that for different yardages. And it seems really confusing. Um, so going back to the beginning when you were learning instinctive shooting was this, this was prevalent then also how, what was the percentage well, it, it, of guys? It came along were, then. It came along then. Okay. Uh, people, I think going way back almost as far as you can go, I think people uh, used the end of the arrow, uh, whether they were three fingers under or, or the standard Mediterranean or, or what. I think that was uh, 
that was pretty common like that. But I think as soon as you, and I, I tell people, do not put a number on yardage. Do not look at that and say, that's 18 yards, that's 5 yards, that's 40 yards. Don't do that. Because as soon as you begin doing that, you begin subconsciously figuring out how to do it. So you just want your hand, and you have to allow it to happen. Your hand knows how to do that, and your eye. It's like, gosh, who would anybody that you or I know can throw a football to a kid running across the yard and throw it, lead him just right and hit him with it. Now, gosh, how can you do that without some sort of special technique? We have the ability to do it. It's just you have to allow it to happen. Your hand knows how to point. You have to allow it to take charge. And if you start telling it it's 13 yards or it's 20 yards or whatever, then pretty soon you will begin developing a system for aiming at that. And you don't really want to do that. Uh, at least that's that's kind of the way I in, in, instruct people. Uh, and it depends on what you want. You know, I mean, people want success. And uh, your success might be winning a trophy for shooting the most dots, and mine might be too. But, uh, you know, for the most part, uh, that's all of that is, is, has come racing back. Uh, the NFAA, National Field Archery Association, uh, was the biggest thing going. I mean, there was like, gosh, probably 50,000 members in the United States, and, and uh, they would go to these shoots and, 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 and it was really fun, and the original idea of it was practice bow hunting. But what started happening was as soon as they started giving awards and trophies and and all that kind of stuff is people started trying to figure out how to be more accurate. And that was where that whole three fingers under stuff started. But like I said, I'm not saying a guy can't be a bow hunter and, and aim off the end of the arrow, but, uh, it's, 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 it's going to be more difficult. And I say, again, you have the ability to just pick up a ball and, 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 and just throw it to somebody. My goodness, you can do that so easy. It's unbelievable. But for, but for some reason, people don't think they can do that, uh, with, and I think it's because of that arrow out in front of them or something like that. I don't know, but so I have never, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, so, what advice do you have to the to the guy that has struggled for whatever reason, instinctive shooting, and he's using some kind of system that usually requires a rangefinder um, to liberate him back into the simpler way? Like, I know you do some teachings. Uh, uh, I think you teach a class through Black Widow. What What is some advice mm-hmm. you have for the guy? to uh to come over to instinctive shooting well first off he pays for the class so that has that has that has some uh that has has uh in 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 some ways uh pushes him towards it but i and here's what we do at the class we do all of the instructions at probably i don't know 12 yards 10 12 yards we don't shoot any arrows any farther than that. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and then that's the idea. Uh, the way I learned and the way I would suggest to anybody that they learn is to 
whether it be a dandelion or, or a bale of straw, that they stand very close and concentrate on where they want the arrow to go. And if they're very close to begin with, the arrow is going to be so far below the target they won't be able to use it. So they have to just allow themselves to stare at that thing, draw back to the same place, don't see the end of the arrow in any way, and and shoot. And shoot a 1,000 arrows at 10 yards until your hand begins to learn how to do that. And and that is what will happen. The hand will learn. Like I say, just like just you can sit behind a desk and you just moved uh, into this new office and, and uh, you throw a wad up, a wadded up uh, piece of paper at the wastebasket and you miss it. But after you sit there for a while and you keep throwing wadded up paper at the wastebasket, pretty soon you can do it without even looking over there. And that's, that's exactly the same skill. But I tell people you have to allow your hand and your eye to work. You have to allow it, allow it, allow it. Do not try to interfere and tell it what to do. You just concentrate and allow the hand to point where it wants to point. And uh, if you, it's like, it's, it's, it's very difficult to isolate stuff. Now, what if people say, well, how accurate can I be? I say, well, the problem is, when a deer is out there, let's say, at 30 yards, it's very difficult to look at that deer and only see that place behind the shoulder where you want the arrow to go. So that's the limitation on instinctive shooting is what you can concentrate on. And the illustration I use quite often is you can take, let's say, a, a white milk carton and set it out in the middle of a plowed field. And so when you look out there, the only thing you can see is that white milk carton. Uh, it'll shock you at how well you can shoot at it. You just look at it and let the hand point out there, and it'll shock you at how well you can shoot. Now you take that same milk carton and put it in with brush and trees and all that kind of stuff, and you're not going to shoot a third as well because your eye has difficulty isolating it. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's and that's so it's I mean it's it's not magic. You have to spend some time doing it. And uh like I said I I don't think you can shoot too many arrows, but yeah. <laughs> uh I think any time you get above about 20 yards uh in the beginning, you know, you're 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 kind of testing the whole thing, and uh, you know, I, I, I have, ne I have never cared for competition, but I have done it so long that I mean, I can look at stuff out there at a great distance and isolate it, and that's and that's the key learning learning how to do that. What what I did to get me to where I'm at, I don't know if this is correct or not, but I started. Close, like you said, and I did a, I mean, I remember at first trying to shoot at distance and that was so frustrating. And I'm when I just mm -hmm. moved myself up very close and, uh, I'm a bow mm -hmm. hunter. My only reason for shooting a bow 
The end goal is to go bow hunting. So target shooting and shooting at dots has never been my thing. And so mm-hmm. I started off very close, like you said, and shot thousands of arrows very close where I felt like I could hit the tiniest little speck of spot. Then what I started doing was, and I shoot at a deer target, you know, or a bear target or whatever, as I try to go out, not always, but 95% of the time, if I'm shooting at that target or a stump, I only shoot one arrow. And I, and I go out to unknown yardage and I, at a different angle every time, rather it be whatever it is, 10 feet, 17 yards, 21, whatever. And I shoot that one arrow. And if I'm in the vitals, that's a good shot. And if I, if I feel mm-hmm. if I throw a second arrow down there and I, I see this three, four inches apart, then I feel like my brain says, Oh, that's not a tight group. And then a tight group that gets me frustrated. So. A one arrow is always a tight group. And if that one arrow is in the kill zone, then I'm doing good. And so the time it takes me to walk over and pull that arrow and walk out to another unknown distance allows me to have concentration for that next shot. I'm not just spewing arrows at different, and if that makes sense. And that's really helped me becoming a good instinctive shooter. Uh, as well as stumping, you know, shoot one arrow at a stump, pull it, see another stump, shoot it. And so as long right. as I'm hitting what I want, I, I feel confident. I say to guys, you know, that, that, uh, well, how do I, how do I want to say this? Let's see if you, you, uh, you have to, shooting one arrow is the way to do it. You concentrate on what you want to hit and you shoot. And you walk and get it, and then you pick something else out. You don't shoot that that shot again. Yep. Ever. Exactly. Yep. And uh, so, so guys have guys have a difficult problem because they they want to shoot it better. So this time they're gonna they're gonna test it. They're gonna use the point of the arrow and see if they do better. And uh, I find that. I don't take a lot of shots at animals. And again, I don't ever put yardage on it, but I realized later that, gosh, that animal was at, I don't know, 20, 25 yards. That looks too far to me. When I look at it, I can't, I mean, you know, I don't know. And so, again, I I tell people, do not think about yardage. And you will find, when you begin doing that, that there will be deer that you... In the end, you analyze it. That was a lot farther away that you felt like you could hit, but it's usually because he's standing just right, or there's a place on there to 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 to, uh, to uh, concentrate on. Uh, majority of uh, instinctive shooters say, "I cannot shoot targets." Now we go out stump shooting, and I'll beat you. I shoot good. Well, okay. Why does that happen? It happens because when you're stump shooting, you pick something you can concentrate on. Right. And you look out there, and and and, and if you and I are shooting together, I know what you're going to pick <laughs> almost as quick as you do because I'm looking out there, and I, I can see that particular leaf or that particular shadow or, or, or stump or whatever it is, uh, same as you can. And we pick things we can concentrate on. And and there's a there's that's part of the learning process too. You realize that 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 ability to concentrate on what you want to hit really becomes ultra important. Uh, 
this whole basketball thing, and I wrote about this in the, the uh, last book on instinctive shooting. They did a whole lot of testing, and they found out that the major the big guys playing basketball could never shoot free throws, and that's because they were used to just being right there, right under it, and they didn't even have to to look at anything. But the guys who could shoot the best concentrated on the rim the longest. And and that was 100% of the time. And the ability to concentrate on what you want to hit uh, and just allowing it to happen. And again, that's a key word, allow, allow, allow. And, uh, you know, you cannot... You, you, and, and, and one of the problems with the three fingers under... Uh, is that it brings the arrow up so close to the eye. And so guys start using it. And again, I didn't say it was wrong, uh, but it, it, it sort of tends to, to take you in that direction. So. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. I, I think that also just the group shooting, like you said, the one arrow, you're not judging yourself on this, that second arrow. If it's not touching that other arrow, it starts to creep into my mind. And that's why I don't want to shoot groups or competition dots because that one arrow, if I'm where I need to be, that that's good enough. Uh, you know, yeah. for me, I never, I never shoot. I never shoot more than one arrow at any distance. If yeah. I've got two arrows in my pocket, I will shoot one. Let's say, at five yards and one at 15 or, right. or something like that. But normally, like when I'm hunting, uh, I probably own more judo points than anybody in the history of the world. <laughs> and I walk around with a judo in my pocket and I shoot and I go get the arrow and I shoot it again. And, and one's yeah. a really long shot. I'll take some really long shots. Yeah. And then I'll take some really close. And I just keep doing that. And you make that instinctive eye work. Yeah, I 100% you know, subscribe if, to your theory if, there. I, if you, okay, if you think about this, think about yourself. You are playing baseball. And when the ball comes to you, let's say at shortstop, if you can set your feet and come back and throw the ball to first base, what will happen to you is you turn loose of the ball right in front of your eyes. When you run to your right, let's say, and pick up a ball and have to throw it from the side and you aren't turning loose of it in front of your eye, it's much harder to do. So the secret is hand and eye coordination. And it's like these guys that perform magic out there with baseballs and with footballs, they are using the hand to where the eye is looking. And like I said, if when if when you you understand what I'm saying, if you throw the ball from the sidearm, it's much harder to throw it to where you want to go until you until you want it to go until you've done it a lot. Yeah. Right. So that kind of transitions me into the thought of things that I've been working on in my own uh uh archery is the ability to draw the bow back and hold it for two, three, four, five seconds, or draw the bow back and let it fly right away. To to be able to in hunting, I want to do what I need to do when I need to do it, 
And if that means if I need to shoot ultra fast, I, I want that ability. If I have to hold for a few seconds, I want that ability. If I have to camp the bow over hard, uh, upright, on my knees, on my butt, sideways, I think that it's a very versatile weapon and that you're cheating yourself if you don't practice in, in a way that allows you to perform under all conditions. What's your thought on that? Yes, I agree. I agree. And uh, it's like, you know, almost never in uh, when you're hunting are things going to be just right. I mean, can you stand up and and, and get the right position and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's kind of, you know, I instruct people to, to, uh, practice facing the target. And I have a lot of reasons for doing that, but one of them is that majority of the time, whether if you're in a tree stand or you're on the ground, you almost never have the opportunity to turn sideways like guys do and shoot. In fact, you want both eyes <laughs> equal and you're looking out there at what you want to hit, which is another form of triangulation, and and you can judge the distance much better that way. But like I say again, uh, you just got to keep making that thing work, and vision is 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 a big part of it. Uh, I used to shoot the indoor stuff, and what I would do, I would never shoot the, the dot in the middle. And you know what I'm saying about the indoor stuff is the 20 yard stuff that they yep. they do at Las Vegas and all that kind of yep. stuff. And what I would do is I would shoot the first arrow at the upper right corner of the target. And let's say the next one I'd go at the lower left hand corner. And that's really what I was doing, making myself concentrate. And here was this target right above me with a dot in the middle, and making myself uh, concentrate uh, on on a spot like that, and like I say again, I try never to shoot two arrows from the same spot. Yeah, I have friends that are very into the three hundred round in the winter when it's raining, mm-hmm. and I started mm-hmm. do, uh, doing that, and I felt that it really gave me uh, target panic, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so what I did was I enjoyed that camaraderie uh, and interaction with my friends while it was raining. So I started doing a, a few different things. One was when they would shoot their five arrows down there at that one spot, I would just shoot one arrow. And then I'd go mm-hmm. get my arrow. They'd get, they'd get their five. And then I started uh, bringing in a silhouette of an animal target and just shoot my one arrow at that. Just because it just, you know, I, I just didn't. I wasn't wanting to focus on being in the middle of a circle, um, you know, trying to strive for that exact perfection. It didn't seem beneficial to my uh, shooting. Right, right. Well, I don't think you can shoot too many arrows. You know, you'll 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 hear, you'll read about, you know, well, just shoot so many and then quit and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's never really been the way I've approached it. I've just uh, uh, gosh, uh, mule deer season when I lived in Colorado was just beautiful, warm weather. And, uh, I'd hunt in the morning and in the evening, but in the day between, gosh, I might shoot 200 arrows just walking around in the sage, picking a spot, one arrow, shoot, go pick it up, shoot one close, shoot one long, shoot one short, shoot one medium, and all that kind of stuff. But you're constantly making your eye work. Right. And your, you know, your hand and eye uh, coordination thing. 
you know. How about you, Bob? It's Bob's like, a Bob's a very successful bow hunter in my book. Uh, he's very humble, so he's going to say, "Oh no, I'm not." Uh, <laughs> what what uh, you know? And he's been bow hunting since he was 12 years old. Um, what what is it like for you, and and how how do you approach it, and how have things changed for you, Bob? Well, I like Fred says I I couldn't shoot a group for nothing, so um, I like that shoot one arrow from different distances and I, you know, I consider myself, I guess, an instinctive shooter and, uh, you know, probably my best years shooting have been years that I didn't even shoot a target. Like literally I just stump shot all spring and summer shed hunting and scouting. And then, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, but you know, I, I guess I, I guess that's Fred's fault because those are the books I had to read when I was getting into it, and that's who uh, kind of taught me through the book. That's awesome. You know, you teach in these classes. What percentage of guys are coming in already having the instinctive uh, skill set, and and you're just helping brush up on that, or guys that are, are really just puzzled and lost and trying to find their way? Oh, you get a little bit of both, really. The class is pretty small. I think the largest class I've ever done uh, – was like about 20 people normally we try to keep it around 15 now we used to do like six different classes and we don't do that anymore because it uh the guys from uh from black widow put so much time in it that it really interrupted their their production so we've 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 cut it back uh really a lot but you get a combination of all kinds of things i get people who come who've never shot an arrow uh but most people come and uh it's, it's, it's always interesting to me because they pay to take the class it's not expensive but they pay for it sure. and uh, i'm saying okay do this and they say well that's not how i do it i do it like this and they show me something completely different and i said well you're going to pay your money and you're going to come here to show me how you shoot i thought you came here <laughs> for me to show you how to shoot instinctively well, yeah, but, you know, so in the end, people, some people are just wanting reinforcement. But uh, I tell guys, you know, you take this class and you're here for three, three and a half days and you're going to shoot all close. And when you get home, the first thing that's going to happen is your buddy's going to be sitting in the driveway waiting for you. And he wants to take you to the archery club and have you amaze him with what you learned. And I said, the worst thing you can do is leave this place here where we're shooting 10, 12 yards all the time. And we shoot hundreds of arrows and go out there and start shooting at 40 yards and, and, and so forth on an archery range. And, and I said, you're just, you're going to, you're going to be displeased. You have to understand that what you've learned to do is to utilize hand and eye coordination and keep it close, keep it close. And then, then, you know, try something a little farther away and then come back uh, again, you know, real close. But uh, it's, I mean, it is not magic, but uh, you know, some people go away from the class and, uh, and have really learned a lot. And, uh, and I think most of them do learn uh, quite a lot. What I see mostly is uh, guys shooting with their arms and not with their back. And so when I start yeah. watching people, we and we we uh, 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 video them, and I'd say ninety percent of them, I'm saying, move your elbow back. You're drawing elbow. 
they're they're coming up and they're putting their finger in their mouth, but then their elbow is almost straight out to the side of them instead of coming on back. And uh, if you don't ever have anybody to show you that, uh, and that really becomes part of the whole push pull thing, you know, you and, and and some. But the big one of the big things that I that I think has helped, and I think I just wrote about this, is that uh, bow weight is starting to come down. Right. And as bow weight comes down. Guys are shooting better and better. When we started these classes, gosh, we had guys there shooting 70-pound bows and, and all this. And I'd say the majority of people, it's you don't see many of them uh, as much as 55 pounds now. They're down, you know, lower than that. And that has helped a lot. I use a 7-pound uh, bow. I have a Black Widow bow with 7-pound limbs on it. <laughs> and I can put that bow in somebody's hand, and when they come back, I can take their fingers and put them in the corner of their mouth, move their elbows back. But a guy's trying to pull, a, let's say, a 50-pound bow, and it's all he can do to muscle it back, you're going to have a heck of a time teaching him anything because all of his attention is on trying to get that darn thing pulled back. Absolutely. So what we find is is, is that the, the – the, and I'm seeing this with traditionalists, uh, weights are really coming down a lot, and it's really improving the shooting. I can remember when this whole uh, longbow thing really took off in the 70s. Gosh, if you if you had a bow under 75 pounds, you were a weenie. You know, <laughs> this guy, and the majority of the guys couldn't pull them at all. But I imagine there's an awful lot of longbows under the bed someplace that guys can't shoot. But it's the same thing with it. Uh, you know, you can build up and, and, and shoot more, but I just find that uh, yeah. the thing that we've heard from the beginning is getting a bow down that you can handle. And I say this, and I've written this many times, if I can put a bow in your hand that you can pull and handle accurately, I can have you hitting a doorknob every shot at 15 yards yep. if you do what I tell you. And it it all has to do with you being able to pull that bow back and figure out how to do it. But if everything in you is on t- trying to muscle that bow back, you're going to have a heck of a time learning. Uh, I, I agree. Uh, getting overbowed, I, I started with 60 and quickly jumped down to 40, which made all okay. the difference in the world. And then I worked my way right. up. I, I think I shoot 54 now for hunting, but I still mm-hmm, love mm-hmm. to grab a 40-pound bow out and work on form and stuff here and there because it, it is very beneficial. Um, what oh, yeah. about shooting daily? I, I think that it's really important to shoot daily if you can. And I have I, – I've always lived in the country. Um, and so guys say, yeah, well, you live out in the woods, so you can do that. But I've told guys in the city, you can put that target on your table and shoot from three feet. And, and even mm-hmm. if it's ten arrows a day – when you do go out and get to shoot yardage, it will make all the difference in the world. And I've always uh, preached that. Oh yeah, shoot as shoot as much as you can. <laughs> I, I I'll probably be criticized for this, but uh, I travel a lot, and uh, in a motel room, put their pillows in the easy chair, a bunch of them, and with an HTM blunt, shoot it. And it'll just pop real loud, but you won't hurt anything. And you can just stand there and shoot a million arrows if you want to. You know what I mean, HTM blunt. Yeah. And, and you know, a fairly, a fairly light bow, and you just, you just set the pillows up in a chair 
in there and and shoot them. And, and uh, a friend of mine, a guy named Harv Ebers from uh, Missouri, uh, travels all the time, and that's what he does all the time. <laughs> and oh, just okay. uh, so it's 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 really important that you you know that that's you awesome. shoot, and uh, and part of that is the strength. And and uh, and part of it is the uh, hand and eye coordination, the the learning how to do that. You can't just can't throw a baseball the first time and and, and expect to throw a perfect strike. You, those guys practice lots, and it's just, it's really the same sort of thing. I love it. Maybe uh, I know we could go on and on. We'll have to get you back on and talk more and more. But uh, maybe since we're taking up well, the whole day here, maybe you could give us your. I think I've read some articles back in the day, but uh, so I'm sure you've already written about it. But maybe give us kind of your your best example in a hunting story of where instinctive shooting or one of them where instinctive shooting worked, whereas, you know, a lot of the other methods wouldn't have, you know what I'm saying? Oh my. (laughs) (laughs) Loaded question, friend. Yeah. I think it was, uh, had to do with a bull and you were kind of laying down under a log and, and something like that. So, well, I wrote, I wrote this article about, uh, about being in British Columbia and, uh, and seeing this moose uh, on the shoreline, and I was trying to get up on him, and he, 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 it was sort of a little bay, and I ended up getting out in the water, and I had on wool, of course, <laughs> and waded out until I was really, basically, I was trying to get up close to him, and he kept moving closer to the shoreline, and pretty soon, and, and then, you know, this is in almost freezing weather and I'm in water up to my waist and, uh, he comes up to the, to the, to the shoreline and is feeding and I am out in the water. And at some point he is probably five yards from me and leaning over and my right elbow drawing the bow was in the water. And I shot, shot him in the brisket at about, I don't know, 10 yards. And uh, this is a Canadian uh, bull moose, and he jumped or fell, I'm not sure which, out of the brush and into the lake right in front of me. And just like, then just, you know, boom, just like he threw a car in the water, all this water comes up over me, and he stands up then in the water, and we're about five feet apart, and I think you know, the, the, the arrow had him such a place. He's looking right at me, but I don't think he sees me. And he turns around and starts out of the water and he starts up on the bank and he falls backwards and, and the antlers almost hit me. He, he came over on his back, you know, kind of thing. And that, that, that was, hmm. Crazy. That, that is a, that is an awesome story. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, uh, but you know, there's no question is that couldn't, you couldn't do that with anything except, uh, uh, you know, instinctive shooting. And, uh, you know, and in some of those instances like that, gosh, I'm not sure. Uh, did I pull that thing 30 inches? Did I pull it 24? I have no idea. And that's that, and that's kind of where you want to get with, you know, you want to practice, you want to try to do it all right. But when uh, you get right down to it, it it allows you to do an awful lot of things simply because 
The only important thing is, is that your eye is concentrating on something and your hand is pointing at what you're looking at. That, that is the exact point uh, that I was hoping you were going to make. And that's where I'm trying to hone my skills where, like I said, no matter what direction I'm facing, now where, how the bow's facing, how much I've got the, the bow drawn at, making it happen because I think that makes you a, a more versatile hunter um, for sure. Well, um, one, one thing I, one thing I cannot do, and I've read an awful lot of stories where guys do that. They say they wait till the animal's head goes behind a tree and then they draw the bow because he won't see him. And then he steps out, they shoot it. Hey, I'll tell you what's going to happen with me. I'm going to shoot the tree. I got to wait till he steps out and I don't draw the bow and then change my, concentration point i have to wait until he steps out and i'm looking at that shoulder thing and he may just be inches from that tree but i can't draw the bow and then wait and while while he's behind the tree and then wait till he steps out that doesn't work for me well uh i've as you know i'm still elk hunting and uh that means i hunted a lot in september and now i'm in january i got one shot this year and I made up the huge mistake, and that's kind of what's making me come full circle. It was a long spot in stock. I've told the story before, but basically I made the decision to draw the bow back and take three or four steps and where the bow was ah. below me and then try to shoot. And I missed him, and I, I regret that. If I could take that back, I would have walked out there and just shot real fast and real quick. But I didn't have that skill set yep. at, at that point. And I won't make that mistake twice. It's it's concentration is what is absolutely critical. You 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 must concentrate on what you want to hit, and the hand will point at it. But it's 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 not the anchor. It's not anything. The key issue is being able to concentrate on what you want to hit, and recognizing that concentrating on it. And pointing your hand at it is 90% of instinctive shooting. Yeah. And I, I like when I picture back the shots that I've made, you know, I, I get almost like a tunnel vision. I just, you know, as soon as I get in the, like, okay, I know uh, it's going to happen. Right. I, I, everything else goes away. You know, the horns, the head, which way it's going, what it's doing. All I'm doing is looking at where I'm going to shoot. And I honestly, I won't remember, like, you know, come, like you said, coming to full draw. I don't remember anything but just my arrow going there. And it, I know you say it's not magic, but it sure does seem like magic when it happens because I could still, like, that last bow I got this year, I had to shoot through a little hole. And I was just like, I remember before I shot at him, like, this is my chance. Like, you have to make this shot. And I just, I can still see that arrow just, you know, propelling out there, big old banana feathers and just hitting right where I was looking. And, and, uh, I, I, like I said, I don't remember if I held for a second or two seconds. I don't remember, I don't remember anything else, but that spot and right where my arrow went. So well, I know what he, won't, yeah. what he won't forget is he's got two bull elk in the freezer this year. So good for him. <laughs> ah, all right. Uh, all right. So, uh, in closing, you had, uh, brought up, uh, getting into that water and you're in wool. Uh, wool has mm-hmm. been, uh, you know, I'm immersed in archery. I'm immersed in traditional archery. And I recently, you know, uh, 
you know, I'm learning a lot from Bob. Uh, he may not realize it, but I am. And he's a big proponent of wool and he's introduced me mm-hmm. to wool in the last year. Um, I'm absolutely in love with wool. I am growing my collection. It is so awesome. <laughs> uh, your wife, Teresa makes some of the finest wool stuff. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, in closing, talk a little bit about, uh, uh, what you guys are doing out there. Uh, Teresa is, is, is the brains. Uh, you know, we're both of course involved in it, but, uh, uh, she's been a seamstress, uh, all of her life. And, uh, she designs the patterns and, uh, we have the material made special and it is, it is all wool. And, uh, that all started, uh, just, you know, because of, of, uh, our love for wool and just the fact that, uh, gosh, it works whether it's heavy or light or, or whatever. And, and I say to people, gosh, uh, there's times when cotton may be good. There's times maybe when, when, uh, polyester's good. Uh, but if I'm going to be someplace where I can't get next to heat and a fire, I'm going to wear wool all the time simply because it returns so much of your body heat and it is, it is, it is so comfortable. And, uh, I, I, I mentioned, uh, going to Alaska for three months. And at that time I, I already knew about wool, but the guy that I went with, he didn't like wool because it, it held too many burrs. He said, and he was kind of, kind of a neat freak. And, uh, we were there for three months. And by the end of the first week, uh, he borrowed my second pair of pants, my second pair of wool pants, and I'm six three, and he was about five eight. So you can imagine how long they were. But he wore them for two and a half months. I'll put it that way, and uh, and it's, it's still a believer. And I just, you know, I'm always amazed that there's any other material out there, almost. But uh, but uh, we work really hard at at, at trying to to just come up with stuff that's specifically uh, for the hunter and, and in most cases, the, uh, the bow hunter. And there's wow. a big show, uh, I think next, next week in Kalamazoo and, uh, and uh, we'll be there and uh, we make the shirts and hats and, and now we're making bibs and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting business because we, we just, we just find that, uh, uh, so many people are just discovering wool and they're yeah. just so amazed that, uh, that they, that they almost hadn't heard of it before or certainly <laughs> didn't realize the, the benefits uh, yeah. of it. But. I, I was definitely, uh, in the dark until mm-hmm. Bob exposed me to it and, um, talking with, I, I picked up your guys' Pathfinder and I like it so much oh. that I, I don't reserve it just for hunting. I wear it out into town, going to town shirt. Yeah. And I get so <laughs> many go. compliments on that. And people say, what is that? Where is it? And I direct them towards you and I tell them, you yeah. know, it's a, a custom made product by a, a nice woman out in Michigan. How do you not want to support yeah. that? And it's such a good looking uh, garment. I mean, they are nice. Well, they're all they're all hand sewn and they're all done here and and they're done in our house and that's just uh that's just the way it is. They're all they're all handmade. Yeah, so 
for all the listeners, if you guys don't own a Pathfinder or uh, a piece of this Asball wool, you really need to pick it up. Um, and also, uh, I, I'm guilty. I have not read the, the books, but I'm going to get my hands on Fred's books because I'm intrigued to uh, learn more. Um, so could you tell us uh, the titles of those books, uh, Fred? Well, the first one I did was Instinctive Shooting, and I did that in uh, in like 88. And then I came back in 93 and did Instinctive Shooting 2. And uh, that was because I realized that I had left so much stuff out of the first one. Uh, and I even included a, a, a section on how to shoot a compound instinctively. And I think I must have, have sold two books to compound shooters. I don't know. But the last book I did was uh, Advanced uh, Instinctive Shooting for Bow Hunting, uh, the rest of the story. And I just did that. Let's see, when did I do that? I did that in 2011. And it's, I, I mentioned Instinctive Shooting and Instinctive Shooting 2. And I guess we'll have to call this Instinctive Shooting 3, but it goes in a tremendous amount of more detail about shooting and all that kind of stuff. And it's still the same principles, but it just goes into so much, so much more and spends a lot of time talking about the, well, the anchor and the, and the bow hand and, 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 you know, and the string fingers and, and why each of those are important and, and, you know, and how they fit in. The mistake I made with this book, this last one is I called it advanced instinctive shooting and so people think it's something technical and it isn't really that at all in fact i've thought about reprinting it and taking advanced off of it but uh <laughs> but uh, really all it does is is it just expands uh all of it and goes into an awful lot more detail about you know like i say the anchor and and uh, the bow arm and and the push pull and all that kind of stuff and uh, anyway and you have another book, uh, is it Stalking and Still Hunting? or Stalking, stalking and Still Hunting, yeah. Yeah, and that was, uh, I did that in 97. And uh, that's, if you're into hunting on the ground, you need to take a look at this because it really goes into an awful lot of depth and uh, uh, covers all aspects of it, whether you're hunting elk or deer or, or whatever. But uh, anyway... Where can, the, got, where can, where can the guys and gals find these books at? Where can they purchase these? Uh, Asbel Wolf. Asbel Wolf. Very good. Some of the different dealers have them, but, of course, we have them all. So, so is that a website? Do you have a – Yeah, Asbel Wolf. Asbelwolf.com. Yep. Okay. And right now, so. and um, if, guy, if you guys really want to get up with Fred – I think you do a, a class once a year out at Black Widow. Could you plug that for them? Yes. Yeah, it's – it's. Uh, I don't – I mean, uh, I teach it and, uh, and uh, Ken Beck, but the guys at Black Widow do all the arranging and all that stuff, and it's it's at their facility, and uh, which is in uh, uh, Springfield, Missouri. And it's kind of hard to get into the class, but uh, – but, uh, if you call out there, you can you can get into it pretty easy. And we go into it's it's a small class, and it's a lot of hands on all that kind of stuff. And and I talk for a while, and then we get up and shoot some, and then we come back and talk some more about another aspect, and then we just keep putting it all together, okay? And uh, 
the biggest problem anybody has is their fingers getting sore and their muscles <laughs> getting stiff because we shoot so many arrows. Awesome. So I believe we're going to try our darndest to make it back out to uh, Compton's and the rendezvous in Michigan. Cool. And so uh, hopefully, hopefully we can uh, get together and maybe do another one of these chats in person. We'll see. We'll, we'll be there for sure. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate okay. your time uh, with us today, Fred. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. Once again, we'd like to thank all the listeners. None of this would be possible without you. Don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. We really appreciate you guys. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Keep the wind in your face. Pick a spot and shoot straight. Frosty before the sun comes up, the geese are on the wing. The deer are fat and happy, no, they don't suspect a thing. I can't take it any longer, I've got to breathe some air. The only cure for what I've got is a week or so out there. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. I'm an outdoor junkie through and through, hunts my middle name.